0: Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1, the oracle that the prophet Habakkuk saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not listen? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see wrongdoing and look at trouble? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law becomes slack, and justice never prevails. The wicked surround the righteous. Therefore judgment comes forth perverted. I will stand at my watchpost and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what God will say to me and what God will answer concerning my complaint. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so that a runner may see it. For there is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end. And does not lie. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Look at the proud. Their spirit is not right in them. But the righteous live by their faith. These are our sacred stories. Thanks be to God.
1: The first public link between Hocus Pocus and Communion was made in 1694 in a sermon given by John Tilliston, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury. He suggested that the common juggling words of Hocus Pocus are nothing more than a corruption of hoc est corpus, hoc est corpus Meu. this is my thought, And you can easily see where such a link could be made. Imagine if you're sitting a few rows back and you don't speak English, excuse me, you speak English, you don't speak Latin, which is what the worship service is in, and you probably don't read English. So you don't speak Latin, you don't know what's being said, you just know that bread is held up and the words hoc est corpus, maim, hoc est corpus, hocus pocus, and bread, ordinary bread, becomes miracle, becomes something else, magic, hocus pocus. So what is the miracle of communion or the magic? What happens when we share the simple meal of wine and water and bread? During the Reformation, people lost their lives trying to answer these questions. What is the bread? What is the wine? Who can serve it? Who can take it? Very few of us have been part of the covenant since we were children. Most of us were raised. Elsewhere, as Catholic and Quaker, agnostic and atheist, Jewish and Presbyterian, public radio and coffee, Methodist and Mennonite, Baptist and Buddhist, Episcopalian and brunch, and on and on. And now we find ourselves worshiping at an ecumenical liberal Baptist church, just trying to be ourselves, trying to be our best selves most days and just try not to be awful on the other days. Some labels fit us and some don't. Some of the meanings we were given as children work for us and most of them, for most of us, don't. We've changed and we are changing. And isn't that a type of miracle? Something like magic? The ability to change? There's something more for me, something more than simple bread, wine, and water, something more in community, something more in a connection to the divine, a connection to myself and a connection to all of you. There's something of faith in this meal. Certainly there's something of faith in an open table a table where we are all welcome exactly as we are i know you know but i'm going to tell you again nothing nothing can keep you from this sacred meal it is for everyone just like god's love you get it already so i've been thinking a lot about faith and part of that i suppose is the interfaith ministries event on the future of faith, which I had already said yes to before I knew September would be a sabbatical month for me. I was part of a panel discussion, and so I took off my sabbatical uniform of t-shirt and kicks and ponytail, and I joined other faith leaders on stage to consider together questions that we've been given beforehand and some questions that were asked spur of the moment. This will surprise you, and for the questions that we were given beforehand, I wrote out answers. All right, you're not surprised, that's okay. I would like you to know that while I had my answers with me, I did not look at them, not even once. <laughs> I don't like to say people like The first question was one of the ones we were able to prepare for. The question was, what does it look like to gather people in 2022 more than two years into the COVID era. I don't know exactly what I said, but here's what I wrote. First, it looks like joy and gratitude. It's such a gift to be together in person. So much of being part of a community is unscripted grace. It's the sincere how are you and the answer. It's asking after loved ones and shared celebrations and shared sorrow. Covenant did not meet in person for 18 months, the longest 18 months of my life. Phone calls and Zoom, while better than nothing, do not replace a hand on a shoulder, giving and receiving communion together, seeing and hearing our children. But we're not the same. This pandemic and now this endemic have changed us and are changing us. We are people marked by shared grief for the many who've died and the many alterations in our lives. And while we were away from each other physically, we also experienced so many tragedies, so much violence the murder of Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and so many people of color. Many of us came to realize that the world we thought we lived in is not real. And we have so much work to do. And so we don't pretend. We don't pretend that everything's back to normal and we do rejoice in being together once again. And we make it possible for people to join us from home if that's what's best for them for whatever reason. So these days, worship prep means not just what's happening in this space, but also making sure there's someone ready to do the live stream. It's thinking about lighting and figuring out ways that you can see the person who's standing up here, even if you're watching from home. That's what the banner is about, because otherwise you can't see the person. They shouldn't know that. That wasn't good. So we've been back in worship for many months. And joy and gratitude have not worn off for me. Gathering together again for worship, for coffee, for shared social justice work, it feels like a return to the gift of shared life, of community of knowing that we do not face the challenges of this world by ourselves, we're not alone. I wanted to share that answer with you because it's so much of what I'm feeling in this moment, having been gone from you for a month. Joy and gratitude, connections and our shared life. I missed you. Thank you for your generous gift of sabbatical time. I enjoyed this month, and I'm looking forward to May and June, and I'm glad to be back. I'm filled with joy and gratitude for each one of you and for this church. And I also wanna offer a particular word of appreciation for David and Trinae and Beth and Jay and Dale and everyone who preached and prayed and did the time for children while I was away. Thank you. Habakkuk was thinking about the future of faith too. Actually, Habakkuk was thinking about the now of faith. Habakkuk was looking around at violence and the destruction and crying out to God. Habakkuk says, Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise, the laws become slack, and justice never prevails. The wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, when judgment comes forth, it's perverted. And so we cry with the prophet because we see this in our world too. Oh Lord, how long? How long? We cry for help. Are you not listening? We cry violence. Will you not save? I'm going to be honest and tell you that Habakkuk is not a go to book of the Bible for me. It is. If I'm needing encouragement or connection or material to help me sleep, I turn to Luke, Isaiah, Ezekiel, I'm very fond of Ezekiel, sleeping numbers, it works every time, you any chapter, you start anywhere, you'll be asleep, I promise. But Habakkuk, when's the last time you read Habakkuk, come on, right, exactly. So the creators of the lectionary obviously agree with me because Habakkuk comes up once in the three-year cycle, and it's today. Here you go, proper 22, the season of Pentecost, Habakkuk, that's it. And I get it because it's a short book, but the whole first part of it is Habakkuk lamenting about how awful things are and accusing God of being silent and nowhere to do anything about what's going on. And then God answers. And you heard the answer. Write a vision. Make it big enough for runners to see it. And then that section ends with God saying, and the righteous will live by faith. That's God's answer. The righteous will live by faith. And then and then Habakkuk sings a psalm of praise, which is also a little perplexing to me. So, the righteous will live by faith. That's God's answer. I have trouble with
0: those
1: words. Both righteous and faith. I don't really like either word. And I've been trying to figure out what my problem is. Paul quotes that a lot, our friend Paul, in his letters. The righteous live by faith. I'm wondering if that's enough for me not to like it. What does it mean to be righteous? What does it mean to have faith? Faith in what? Let's go back to yelling at God about all the violence and oppression in our world. I get that. The righteous live by faith sounds almost like hocus pocus to me, like some sort of magic formula that I've never managed to get right. But what if it's not about me? faith and righteousness cannot just be personal not just about me and what i say and do and pray and believe it seems to me that faith and righteousness are much more about all of us all of us for all time from the beginning when the breath of god hovered over the deep from the beginning When the end-breaking of God came into the chaos and desolation, God is and has been and will be breaking into the world of hatred and violence and bigotry and exploitation with good news. Good news for the hurting and the hungry. Good news for the happy. Good news for the outcast and the downcast and joyful. Good news. What's the good news? We wrote it on our billboard. There's always room for one more. We're not alone. We do not labor in vain. What's the good news? Love, grace, hope, justice, peace. God's movement in the world is a movement above. And we didn't start it, and we won't see its conclusion either. And we're invited to be part of it, to live it. Anthropologist Margaret Mead wrote, don't think that a small group of people can't change the world. They're the only ones who ever have. That's faith, isn't it? We know there's too much. Too much pain and violence and racism and transphobia and fear and hate, too much, you cannot possibly do it alone. And there is no magic wand. There's no incantation that can turn violence to love. And so we need God. We need something greater than ourselves. We need to know that we're part of all of the love in the universe. And that love, when joined together, that love has the power to change things like magic. But really, it's just communion. The righteous live by faith. And that doesn't mean that everything is made just fine. And it doesn't mean that we pretend Means that we see the world as it is, and we don't let that keep us from longing for the vision of love and justice of a world transformed. There is no hocus pocus, but there is hocus pocus. This is the body of Christ. We are. We are Christ hands and feet. We are Christ's eyes that look compassion in the world, as Teresa of Avila would say. So that's what I'm thinking about, the righteous living by faith. That's my theology this day. That together, day by day, in our effort to live love, to rest, and to work to be and to do together that we're joined in a vision of love and social justice, a vision of communion and connection. For this World Communion Sunday, I'm renewing the vision, the vision of a day of peace may come, the vision of communion and community, the vision of love let loose in the world, I'm singing a psalm of praise. Not that everything is okay, but because so much is not okay, I come to this place to be with you, to sing praises of hallelujah, hallelujah because we're together, hallelujah because change is possible, hallelujah because love is here.